You two are goddamn adorable. <laughs> that was an amazing message. I hope you both have an amazing Thanksgiving. I hope the turkey turns out well. Pumpkin cheesecake sounds amazing. I've heard other people talk about it. I have not had it yet. It sounds delicious. Yeah, and thank you for, again for the message. That was just awesome. <laughs> Anyway, happy Turkey Day. Talk to you soon. Peace out. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Geomologist Presents. Happy Thanksgiving weekend, and I hope everyone had plenty of turkey and other fun sides and desserts and spirits or beer or ale or whatever your preference. Uh, if you celebrate Thanksgiving this past Thursday. So today, or in this episode, depending on when you hear from it, I'm going to have some call-ins from Jason Connerly, BJ Boyd, and Joe Richter. I will also, you can hear or listen to a recap of my Warhammer fantasy role-playing session, the latest one, which I'm playing later today at the time of this recording. So thank you all for the well wishes that you have sent either through the Discord or like Joe just sent us a message in response to mine and Amy's message. And then Jason, of course, wishes us happy Thanksgiving uh, in the next segment below. So enjoy. I don't remember if I called in after the brainstorming episode or not, but great episode, interesting thoughts. And yeah, I think we definitely need to come up with our plans going forward for next year. Pick which games are going to be long-term games. You know, hopefully your Twilight 2000 can keep going. Hopefully the Pathfinder game will keep going. So that ties up two nights. If the Thursday game stays a rotating game where you're playing, you know, we rotate every few months, maybe four games a year, we can fit things in there. I don't think he can have that many long-term campaigns, to be honest. I think one or two, maybe three is all you're going to fit in because there just aren't that many days in the week, unfortunately. I, I know I'd rather, like if we make Pathfinder weekly, I'd rather figure out weekly games. But, yeah, it's something we need to figure out, man. But you know what? The good thing is you're not in this alone. So have a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, Jason, happy Thanksgiving to you too. Planning is a good thing. I believe, and um, it's a, I guess it's a hard thing, right? I like running different games. I like playing in different games. I probably, maybe I do do it too much, but I haven't felt, like, overwhelmed yet. I definitely need to reevaluate re and plan for contingency, though, right? So, at least one person is still wanting to play the game, I should run a game, and I just got to figure out what we're going to run and how we're going to run it and how things are going to scale down, and the game's going to happen, and I apologize uh, for last Wednesday for the Pathfinder 2 not happening. It could have happened. Um, it might have been a little challenging, and it probably would have been best if you guys had would, 
would have quit the dungeon, then I could have run something around the town, right? Or in the town. I have some ideas for that now, but uh, I should have I should have been better about that. Um, I'm going to plan to do that in the future, just to have consistency and not let myself be the one who, I mean, barring, I mean, holidays are coming up, so barring that um, and family time that we have during the holidays or trips that come up, well, then the game should go on, right? It's within our control. Yo, Carl. So as far as the shared world thing goes, like it was just something I was sort of musing about and I thought it sounded like a really cool idea, but I, I never said I was going to like organize it or anything like that. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's nothing's going to happen obviously until, you know, 2022 because the holiday seasons are just a mess to try and get anything done. So yeah, we'll see what happens later on. Um, next year sometime but yeah I, I it does sound really fun it'd be cool to run different systems you know the thing i've mentioned on my own show a couple times is that that is a lot to ask for players to make multiple characters but we'll see and then yeah i i, I would say we would just set whatever times we're gonna play and then whoever wants to show up or who can show up to those games plays in those games but yeah haven't really thought about it too much peace out so i think it would be cool to um make our own world. I really liked how you've explained how in Beyond the Wall you can make up your own world starting in your town and then in the shared verse then we would maybe not necessarily run Beyond the Wall. I think when you're talking about character creation, I think probably the best, the easiest thing to do would to like use BX or one of the BX clones like OSC because character creation is pretty quick and easy you can go to a website and press a button you got a character and then you develop the character or based on that random role you come up with a background or not or you develop the character in an immersive way during the course of play right so i think that might be a cool way to go make it a simple system <clears throat> that most people like and don't bitch about there are some bitch and complainers right as we know Oh my, this system is the best one. This system is the best one. And they all end up sounding like Bane arguing about a small chair. Um, so I think uh, that might be a good idea. And I really thought it was cool how you were describing how Beyond the World creates its own world. And then we don't have to worry about canon in the, in a, the Forgotten Realms verse or Galarian verse or, or whatever. You know, we can just... Uh, make it up as we go along or develop a a world book canon as we do as we uh do this exercise i think it'd be kind of neat to do and um yeah start small and work our way out kind of like a a wilderness hex crawl from a, a point of civilization as done in classic D D times um, and has been repeated time and time again, right? So, um, even, shoot, could even do this, like, in space. Jason and I have been talking about a Cowboy Bebop-inspired game, um, using, like, Interface Cyberpunk 2020 or Savage Worlds, um, something like that, and, uh, you could do a, 
a point crawl, hex crawl, space crawl from from there. Um, that might be kind of interesting. So where the players are explorers and bounty hunters going out into space um, or in the solar system, right? That would be interesting. So anyway, cool stuff. I think we need to sit down and figure this out again next year sometime. But uh, good call and thanks for the call and for talking about this shared world idea. I think uh, it's inspired several of us to to really think about it. Yo, dude, it was super fun hearing you talk about Galarian today. That was awesome, man. Uh, as far as published campaign settings go, I think Galarian is tops for sure. It is so detailed and rich and vast and just story hooks everywhere, man. There's so many. Anytime you read, anytime I, <clears throat> excuse me, anytime I read stuff on the Pathfinder wiki or watch a video about a certain region of Pathfinder of Galarian, I'm like, holy crap, you could run an entire campaign there. Every spot pretty much on Galarian is you could run a whole campaign just in that area. And I just think that's amazing. I know that's not for everybody and it's not even for me all the time, but I love playing in that world. And sometimes I love running in that world. So awesome stuff, dude. I love hearing people talk about Pathfinder. So take it easy. Peace out. And while I do like Galarian and I've gamed many a year and run games in Galarian, I kind of, the, the the game world I'd love to run in because I just feel it's very coherent. It makes sense. The cosmology is pretty cool. And that is, I mean, when we're talking about like fantasy worlds, right? Traditional published fantasy worlds. I would say Midgard by Cobalt Press to me. I just, something that I, I love. Well, for one, it's interesting. It's like flat. It's not a, it's its own sort of plane there's actually an adventure that you can go and sail to the edge of the world which is interesting what i like about the cosmology is that there are different pantheons and they're regionally specific but each one is tied to right each there are these are sometimes these are asked not all the time sometimes there's specific regional deities but there are some of the the deities exist in different regions as masks, right? There's an aspect. So like Hell and Hecate are this are a mask of the same type of deity, but one is up in the north, more Northmen region, and one is more in the Mediterranean orthologue, which I really think is cool. I, like an overarching pantheon that is the same every part of the world is kind of weird to me. And I know the Realms does that, Galarian does that, and there's really... Later in Farron, as it was developed, there were like regionally specific deities. Like you have that area that has like the Egyptian style deities, or the, you know, if you go to uh, the Karator, there's like uh, they use the Japanese and Chinese uh, themed deities or mythological deities. So, but generally speaking, I mean, it's like one pantheon. And I really like how Midgard does it. And I liked it in Midgard that uh, you can play minotaurs and centaurs and kobolds and a whole host of other interesting races to me. So, I mean, if we really want realistic detail, then I'd play in um, Harn World, right? In, I think it's called Kithira, 
northwest Lithia, the region. But uh, that is definitely, and they have the economics and everything. I mean, I guess people don't really get into that, but I, as a GM, like my world that I run in to make sense. And it's not just a hodgepodge of everything under, you know, in the kitchen sink. So that's what I feel sometimes that, um, I mean, definitely the Forgotten Realms is like that. Galarian can be to some degree. I think they've done a good job of integrating everything and making sure there is relationships between the different countries and why they are like, why these regions are like the way they are, right? Like the Numeria region, for example, or that Cheliax um, broke away from, from Taldor way back. So I kind of think that's cool. And I also like that they've, uh, like they have a history to me in Galarian that is not just whimsical and random like in the realm. So, so I like that type of stuff and I like a coherent history that makes sense and uh, a world that lives and breathes and of course seems, seems realistic, but really, you know, you got elves, dwarves and orcs and other things. So, you know, not so, but uh, I kind of think that's cool. Anyway, my rant on various worlds, if I had a choice and I could play and I just decided I want to run this, it would probably be the next fantasy thing will be in Midgard, but um, I don't know. I'm enjoying, I run a lot, I do run a lot of fantasy. I like the old world it, for uh, Warhammer. Um, that one definitely has a lot of history and makes sense. And it's kind of realistically based on like the Holy Roman Empire, right? The, the German Holy Roman Empire. Um, and then um, I do, I do like a DCC fantasy. I like that I'm making up the Fumblehalt system as I go and what does that entail? But we haven't really gotten, it's been, we haven't really gotten into the history of any of the worlds that potentially the players have visited. They're not sure. I thought one of the cool thing I heard is that they're not sure if they've traveled somewhere else in the world that they were at through a portal or if they're on another planet which I don't know, have, honestly, I haven't decided yet, but no one has looked up at the night sky. So, um, yeah, I think it's all been during the day or they've been inside. So there you go. It should be interesting to see what I decide when that question is asked of me. So yeah, good stuff, Joe. I do love Galarian. Don't think I don't, but I feel like there are other really cool worlds out there too that give, deserve an equal shake. Earlier today, I got to run a session of my ongoing Warhammer Fantasy campaign, The Enemy Within. We're currently in the second book, Death on the Reich, and uh, we are usually play on Thursdays, but today we played on Friday since yesterday was Thanksgiving, and we wanted to get a game in so it doesn't get too long before we game again. And... Everyone showed up, which is hella awesome. Um, people really want to play. They enjoy this game a lot. So, um, yeah, we've talked about future games or a game, like if we want to drop a game in the middle or if we catch up in the campaign with what has been put out in print. Um, although I do have, I think I have, I think I am up to 
at least the next one, Power Behind the Throne, but they're all out in PDF anyway. So I'd rather have it in print because our uh, Dragon's Lair, the gaming store I go to, is in the Bits and Mortar program. So I, I buy it from them, and then they send me a code for the PDF, which is really cool. A lot of companies do it, and it's a great way to encourage people to buy uh, from their brick-and-mortar store, right? So anyway, we pick up where the players last time had destroyed a ghoul that had sprung out from a trapdoor that they did not see, or they kind of felt was there but couldn't find a way to open it, something like that. Um, then they went down and explored what was below this signal tower that these group of dwarves were working on for the Empire. So they go underneath, it's dark, uh, they got torches going. Um, they, there's a, seems only one way to go because some doors are locked and they don't open and they don't have someone who can pick locks. They go through this one door and find like a central circular chamber. The inner wall is made of metal. They find a couple rods in the in the wall um, at uh, both the, at three o'clock and nine o'clock. Of course, uh, being good adventurers, they push them in. There's this grating sound and a click or a gong, and they see that an inner chamber has opened up, and it's this um, six-pointed star, and each point of the star has a a hole, and the hole is a six-pointed star as well. Um, they don't know what that means yet. They keep exploring. They open a door. They open a door that it happens to be unlocked, or maybe it unlocks when one of the characters approaches it for some reason. And they open into a library. There's books and stuff on the shelf. They see in front of them though this cre this humanoid figure standing there. When the shine the light is shined upon it, it turns out to be an uh, undead human shambling zombie, and players have to roll for their character's fear and a couple players make it a couple do not and the fight lasts longer than it should one of the characters gets scratched up in the face and on the arm from these creatures uh, eventually they take him down and burn them um, as they noticed that one of them started to re regenerate when it got hit which was an odd thing that these that ghouls in warhammer world do um, of course fang was a hero of the tale and fight again, uh, since as Morastra was afraid um, and held back until he could steal his resolve, but Fang charged ahead and pulled the creature down, um, worrying it and smashing its head against the uh, the shelves. So, so they took three zombies, and each of the zombies had this leather thong around their neck with a key that had a six-pointed star at the end. So they kept exploring, and they found two other zombies, one of which in these in this set of rooms, there's these circular concentric rooms around this concentric circle in this in this tower underneath the signal tower that the dwarves were constructing. And they found um, one zombie they destroyed right away. Actually, the players are have some cool uh, abilities now. So one player has this thing, like if he has his pistol ready, he can get a shot off before initiative goes off. And then uh, he's he can go really fast, so he was able to shoot it, move up with because he got initiative, and hack into the creature, uh, pretty well. And in this room um, was a room. The most interesting thing in this room, oh, they found um, it seemed to be a study. They found a staff, a crooked a crooked staff, uh, in the corner. They found um, some maps, 
And one of the maps had these three lines um, intersecting, and they determined this was the path of Morris Leb. And uh, at the bottom of the triangle of this, on this map, which is a map of the Empire, had a circle around it. And Ulrich, uh, the boatman, who has some good navigation and can read maps, although can't read, um, saw that, oh, this is the area called the, the Barren Hills, which is in uh, Talabek land um, to the north, from where they were to the northeast and north of Kemperbad, which they were sailing to on their, on their boat barge thing. So uh, they opened a drawer and and Wolbert got covered in ink because he just forced the door open or the drawer open, the locked drawer. But they found an, a journal in there. Um, it did, the ink didn't ruin it, but the journal had like all these calculations and they realized it was uh, tracing and monitoring the path of the Morris Lab again. That seems to be important. And wherever this uh, thing was, the circle was at they thought that that might be a place to go. Um, they found another zombie, but then the dwarf, uh, the, the elf Morastra, he was holding the stave and he realized that he saw the winds of magic coming, emanating, dark winds of magic, probably Dar emanating from the stave. And he was able to realize it controlled the zombie and he was able to control the creature. Um, there was an argument about whether they should destroy the zombie or not, but they decided not to, which was curious. And they also discovered a book, and the lawyer character, Sebastian, read through the book quickly. They spent some time looking in this alchemist area, and he discovered that this was a book of ne ne necromancy that could help you to control or teach you how to control skeleton zombies, ghouls. Just needed a little bit of warp stone, which is a stone that has power, the power of chaos, and it actually comes from the green moon Morris Leb. Uh, which is very interesting. So uh, the characters decided not to kill the creature or destroy the creature, and they left it there, locked things up, went back to the dwarves, found a secret door at the uh, that exited out of the base of the uh, of the tower with the the ghoul's key ring, which was a five pointed star. But they couldn't find. They found five of the keys, but they could not find the sixth. They took the dwarf there, and the dwarf said it must be. It looks like it's some sort of mechanism that you need the final key uh, to open some sort of something, possibly a trap door. Maybe the whole thing moves or falls down. The dwarf engineer, um, uh, what I think her name was, Eljul, Eljul, something like that. The dwarven engineer foreman, uh, she, that's what she speculated, but didn't know how to to find it. So this was actually really cool. And I talked to the, asked the players if they, they feel that exploring the tower was more fun without a mage. You could just open every single lock and they actually agreed that, yeah, it was more fun to do that. And we felt that maybe hopefully the, the person, hopefully if a mage had been there, they wouldn't have argued to death about whether the trap door could be open with their magical unlock spell. But I don't, I think I would have ruled, no, you can't open it. It's, part mechanical, part warded, you know, so therefore you cannot, but it might have been an argument. I'm hoping it might, would not have been. I don't know what players think about that, but I thought it was really fun, uh, this part of the adventure to, um, to explore the tower without sort of magical means, but they found some interesting magic items. So they, they take the staff with them, they take the book, they tell the dwarves um, that everything's cool. They recover the bones of 
the doors that were missing that had probably been taken by the ghoul and then eaten. Um, so the dwarves were satisfied, paid him their money, and said, okay, we're going to finish the tower now and come back. And then they gave him the bonus because they found out what happened to the dwarves and what caused the demise. But there was a mystery, and we need that last key. And they decided they are going to go travel to these Barren Hills area um, to find it. So, which was kind of cool. And uh, they took off, and they kept sailing towards Kemperband. They were, they, this time, instead of braving any harsh weather, because again, I rolled on the weather and wind tables, um, they decided to stay in port when it became stormy and, and with a strong headwind or a strong sidewind that could topple uh, the boat over. And Ulrich, the boatman, was able to make the rolls when necessary. So they get to Kemperband in good order. They sell their grain and make a little make some five gold crowns profit over it, which is really neat. They decide not to get any more uh, grain or trade goods going up the Steer River, so they're going to go. They're going to get off the Reich and then go up the Steer towards these barren hills. So, um, and we did some of that upriver journey. Another curious thing happened to uh, our doppelganger character. So someone approached him and said, "I need to talk to you." I have, I need to, I need, you know, I need to whisper something into your ear and then was asking him where, what's it, what's your, they still think this is a doppelganger. And they said, they said, what is your, what are you up to? And where are you going? Why are you going the wrong way? You're supposed to go over there. You're supposed to go to the designated spot, but you're, you know, are you stealing our money? What's going on? And actually the player played it pretty coy, didn't give a straight answer, but give a satisfying answer, at least in my mind and with his charm role. Uh, to allay the fear of this obvious purple hand cultist, they let the purple hand guy go. But the purple hand guy got didn't give them any information, but alluded to um, maybe there was another chaos cult operating as a rival in the area, and maybe this guy was turn was going to their side. So perhaps I don't know if they the players picked up that hint or not. Maybe one of them will listen and say, "Oh, that's what that meant." Anyway, so they travel up the steer. And uh, where we stopped is they got to this place where there's twin waterfalls where the steer and another um, river, I think it's called the Narn, uh, meet. And they're going to go, they have to go up the Narn to where this Barren Hills area is. They hear that there's a place called the Devil's Bowl where a meteorite, a piece of the evil Morris Lab moon fell. Um, so that's where they're going to head to. They got some information from the locals. They recruited a local druid to help them. And we'll pick up at the... Uh, in of the Twin Falls next time. But overall, the players were very happy. They felt they made a lot of progress. They cleared the tower. You know, that's an adventure in and of itself. And I was, and we were only halfway done with our session by that time. It was pretty efficient. And then they headed off to Kemper Band, Kemper Band and on their way to, um, to the Barren Hills. So I think they've definitely picked up on all the hooks, which means that they're they're, um, it, it's kind of neat the way these adventures are written. Um, I'm not going to spoil everything because I know I have players that listen. But there are different ways to get to the outcome and solution for the adventures. And the players are hitting all the hook or taking all the hooks. And they're just, they perceive their characters as unknown heroes of the realm. So they're going to do whatever it takes to stop these chaos cults. And they're following the leads as best they can. And it's working. So pretty, really fun game. We really enjoy it. Um, I have really good players. So we'll continue in a couple weeks. 
with our adventure of the death on the Reich, they will hit the dreaded barren hills and the devil's cauldron, I believe is what it's called. All right, I just bought this cool product at Dragon's Lair in San Antonio, the medical center one. I I've never actually been to the other. There's another Dragon's Lair in San Antonio that I've never been to. But uh, I have sort of a subscription. The people there, when things come in, they pick up, they know the games that I play and they put them in my box and I get them. I have a big pile I got to get at some point. But uh, no matter, I did, I try to, when I go over there and we played there today for a Warhammer game, I try to buy something. And today I bought the Klingon Empire Game Master's Toolkit for Star Trek Adventures. So let's give it a look to have to take off the shrink wrap and yeah it has this well here's what it's supposed to have already I, I don't like these like single sheet pieces of art that are really cool but it's hard to put them anywhere honestly so this is supposed to it's a four panel gm screen with the two rules for 2d20 system references a stunning starship art wrapped around the other outer sides six double-sided reference sheets um, for warship actions, momentum spend tables, and contact rules. Um, a complete standalone adventure, which is why I kind of decided to buy it. An A2 size map of Klingon space with Klingon ease labels. And then alpha and beta quadrants focused on the Klingon Empire. So pretty cool. Again, like it has these single sheets, which is a picture of um, some Klingon ships with two birds of prey and a, a bigger Klingon ship. I don't know the make and model of that ship but it looks kind of cool and on the, the back sheet is what i just read um like the single sheets the adventure is called the sleeping beast it is by chris mccarver it is a shorter adventure without the ads in the back about 17 pages or so and an alien vessel vessel on a collision course with the Enstag, one of the empire's critical agricultural worlds they have players have to avert the collision, which is very interesting. So it's like Klingon focused. And uh, do they have, I wonder if they have, it doesn't seem like they have um, pre-generated characters. So you make, you'll make your own Klingon ships crew, which is kind of neat. Um, I definitely want to play in Star Trek and the Klingon adventures. Um, the rule summaries are really nice. They're double-sided. So um, ease of momentum on rule summary has on one side and then on the back is like systems and internal reference, security and oversight, um, helm and navigation, then conflict momentum spends, conflict reference, and then rule summary, uh, communications, rule summary, a commanding officer. So really good references that you'd give around to players at the table. Um, the map, ooh, the map looks really good. So it's cool. So the map on one side is kind of a poetic map of the Klingon Empire, which is really nice. It has like uh, the different nebulae that are there and everything in Klingonese. And on the other side, it has it in, uh, so I can read it in English. I don't know Klingonese, uh, but it has like the Klingon Empire in the uh, Alpha and Beta quadrants adjacent to the Romulan Star Empire and the Federation so pretty cool um, it's really neat i love the poster on the back of the klingon thing and then here the six panels wow it's a whole engagement of klingon versus a federation fight it looks like um 
with lots of Klingon ships smashing through the opposition and uh, one of the old style Klingon uh, cruisers prominent with it looks like the newer style in the back with plenty of birds of prey it's pretty impressive oh the panel is good i don't know if i'm a fan of the orange on white um the red on white is fine for me orange on white is a little challenging but it does have a lot of good stuff um a lot of the things that are on the on the sheets that i had out there uh, how you make an attack of personal weapon qualities which i really appreciate are not extensive like in infinity as opposed in star trek they're a little better uh, momentum spins Oh, Starship Weapons of Damage, which is good. Personal Weapons. What you do in melee combat. Minor, you know, different actions. That is very handy. What actions you can do in combat. It's a very nice screen. Super duper durable. So there you go. That's my Star Trek Klingon Empire GM screen. And uh, I don't know Klingon, or I'd say some sort of um, greeting or goodbye at the end. But if you do know those words in Klingon... Uh, share them. That'd be great. Hey, Carl. Um, unfortunately, I think Stars and Stones has already taken. Uh, that's one of Harry Dresden's, uh, what do you call it? Interjections or, or, I don't know. Kind of like when Superman says, great Scott. Um, that, that's one of Harry Dresden's exclamations when he's exasperated or shocked is to say stars and stones. So I think that's already taken. Well, I mean, it could be a campaign name, right? So if I wanted to run my Lost Colony game, the Lost Colony Deadlands expansion, somewhat kind of more parallel with Deadlands Hell on Earth, post-apocalyptic play in the Deadlands verse, then um, it could be stars and stones. You're in space, you see stars and stones, referring to ghost rock and other minerals that are mined in the belt, and the belt is a big part of the system and the game. So yeah, stars and stones is a campaign name, if not an actual game we design. Probably good. <laughs>